Welcome to MuggleCast episode 425. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm uh, Micah. And I'm Laura. On today's episode, we are going to wrap up Half-Blood Prince. We're going to talk about everyone's favorite moments, the worst moments, the most notable new characters, the top seven moments compared to the movie, the MVP of the book, rename the book, and a 14-word summary. Wow. Because seven times two is 14. You like that math that I did? It was really difficult, but somehow I figured it out. Why is it 14? Well, I I think we were thinking... We can't possibly describe this book in just seven words. Mm. So since it's an entire book we're summarizing, let's double the word count. I gotcha. I, and gotcha. I think it's going to be a terrible sentence, but we'll give it our best shot. <laughs> just based on, yeah, it's going to be like a run-on sentence. Yes. At the very least. Yeah. As long as it doesn't end with bathroom, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll also preview what we're going to do in the weeks ahead. We've already started brainstorming a few things, and we're really excited about what we have for you all. But first, couple news items. Did you guys hear there was a fire at Leavesden Studios where the Harry Potter movies were shot? What? All the stuff. All the stuff. All my childhood. It's up in flames. Gone. It's all gone. If you read the media headlines, everything burned down. Harry Potter is over. They can't film any more Harry Potter movies there. No, so there was a big fire at Leavesden Studios, and we just wanted to mention it because a lot of the media reports were saying, you know, sites of Harry Potter. Uh, you know, where the Harry Potter movies were filmed, burned down and all this stuff. But luckily, the studio tour was not affected. And actually, I think they stayed open. (laughs) I don't don't think they closed (laughs) at all. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Even though there was a fire next door. That is dedication. I can just see these like very prim and proper British tour guides being like, oh, no, don't mind that fire over there. (laughs) Everything's fine. They're just filming a movie over there. According (laughs) to this article from the BBC, fire crews were there for 15 hours trying to put this blaze out. Yeah. Pip, pip, cheerio. (laughs) Carry on. Yeah. So it was pretty big. Um, Have you guys been? None of you have been to the studio tour, right? I have. I have not. Oh. 2015. Oh, okay. So that was like when it first opened. Uh, yeah, they had just done their first expansion, which was the Hogwarts Express, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The studio tour is amazing. If if you ever take a trip over to England, please go and check it out. It's definitely one of the best Harry Potter attractions. And I know people in England are a little salty that they don't still have a Harry Potter theme park. And I feel like that's their Harry Potter theme park. Absolutely. It does seem like a missed opportunity not to have a Harry Potter theme park, you know, in the home country of harry potter yeah i guess it's just i know there are theme parks over there but they're not up there with universal and disney you know well they have cursed child in london right there you go there are attractions for sure is that a good (laughs) trade-off well the house of mita that's the one i want in the u.s um of a yeah me too yeah absolutely anyway i also wanted to check in on wizards unite what level is everybody at now uh i kind of went on a little hiatus not intentionally i just got busy so i'm still on level seven Mm. i'm on level 11 oh micah you've made a lot of progress yeah Mm. you know what i did actually when i was going somewhere thursday night i left a little bit early and i went to what do they call the the places where you can battle fortresses 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 yeah i went to one of those and 
I just parked my car outside of it and battled for 10, 15 minutes to kind of collect some stuff, build up my uh, level. Nice. I did that with Pokemon too. That's, I think, a little bit more dangerous though, because you're looking for certain Pokemon as you're driving around and I I wouldn't recommend that at all. I did go out for dinner the other night uh, somewhere that actually happened to be an inn. So I'm like at the dinner table and every five minutes I'm re-entering the inn to get more spell energy. (laughs) So by the time I left, I had pretty much maxed out my spell energy. So that kept me going for a while. (laughs) No, I'm level 14. Nice. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I don't play too much. So I guess I'm okay with that. I play like maybe a half hour, 45 minutes a day. It's just really when I'm walking the dog or when I get a get a moment, a break with work, I'll just load up the app and see if something happens to be nearby. What are you, Eric? Uh, level six. Okay. So let's go, Eric. Laura and Eric are playing the least. <laughs> Step it up, Eric. I'm working on it. You know, I leveled up. I was really, really happy about it, but it wasn't one of those significant level ups where you can all of a sudden like add a career to your profile. So. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't get to do that yet. I'm finding a lot of parks by my, or like areas by my house will have two of the three different types of buildings. Like they'll have a fortress and an inn, but not uh, a botanist, not like a herbology, or they'll have the herbology and an inn, but not a fortress. And so I'm wondering, like, as far as planning goes, if that's intentional, because you have to like go further to get like that one extra place that completes really the circle of recharge, reuse. Yeah. One thing that I noticed too that really bothered me was sometimes you can be in the middle of a battle and they'll tell you that you don't have any more spells left to be able to cast. Yes. And that, to me, that kind of cheapens it a little bit. I think they should at least let you finish the battle before kind of goading you into having to pay money to get more spells. Yeah. I think that's yeah. definitely... Uh, something that they can improve upon. And then also capacities. I think, you know, as you level up, I know probably at certain levels, your capacities for certain things like potions increase, but I think they could do a better job with that too, because I'm just walking around trying to pick stuff up and I can't because my bag is full. So I have to go in and delete stuff. And so there's definitely room for improvement. Considering the duels, Micah, you could also just be a better wizard and not enter these duels until you sh- you're sure you are prepared to fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I feel like your spell energy isn't made readily apparent to you. Right. Until you you're enter right. a fight. Because like, I'm looking at the home screen right now, and there's nothing on here that indicates what my current spell energy is. Right. Mm-hmm. Great point. I was just mainly teasing Micah. They could do an alert as you get down to maybe five. Yeah. Let you know, hey, only five spells left. Mm. Yeah, that's a good idea. Like I've said previously, I am right next to an inn, so well, I have lucky no you. problem. <laughs> I have to go to work to get inns nearby me because there's nothing yeah. really around where I live. Yeah. If I didn't have this inn right next to me, I think my I would have a my level would not be fourteen <laughs> because that has been a game changer for me. But um, uh, patrons, I want to know, those of you who are listening live, if you are still playing actively, like, should we continue talking about this week to week? Lindsay is level 10, she says. JY is level 22. My boyfriend is uh, level 18, and I'm honestly kind of embarrassed for him. <laughs> we were looking at our screen time settings last night in iOS comparing. 
he has spent almost 11 hours playing that game over the past week. Wow. I'm just like, yeah, that's a lot of time. It's more time than he spends with you. <laughs> that's actually, during the week, not incorrect. <laughs> anyway, um, one other thing we wanted to bring up here at the top of the show, we have a little bit of an announcement. Micah, Eric, and I are going to be down in Orlando in one month for Podcast Movement. It is a podcasting convention of sorts, like all these podcasters are going to be gathering and discussing uh, tricks and tips and all that. It's going to be a lot of fun, but we figured while we're down there, we should do a meetup with the listeners. So our meetup is going to be Thursday, August 15th, sometime in the evening, probably around dinner time, and we want to meet up at a bar in Universal City Walk. People of all ages will be welcome. So we put up a survey, and we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Let us know if you can come, and then we will email you closer to that date with exact details concerning where this meetup will be taking place. Um, We're also asking if anybody has any suggestions as to where we should do this meetup in CityWalk, any particular place that people like. So, yeah, we're also going to use that trip to all ride Hagrid's... (gasps) Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure together, and uh, we'll we'll record something while we're down there in Orlando, and it'll be a good time. Yeah. So let us know if you can make it. August 15th. That's a Thursday. We're going to be turning up before the weekend. Dibs on the motorbike. <laughs> before my birthday. Oh, yeah. When is your birthday, Micah? That Saturday. Okay. So this will actually be Micah's birthday party. <laughs> so now people have to show up. <laughs> and buy you drinks. That's right. Time now for MuggleCast TBT. Laura, I love this one. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to play a clip now from episode 61, October 31st, 2006. A Halloween oh episode. How fun. God. And of course, this was before Deathly Hollows came out, and we were talking about where the final battle would take place. Let's go back in time and listen. Where do you guys think the final battle will take place? I not Hogwarts. at Hogwarts. Yeah. Not at Hogwarts. Oh I my god! No, every bad fan fiction I've ever read in my uh-huh. whole life, they have the final battle take place at Hogwarts, and then like no, first no, years no. are out fighting Death Eaters. It's ridiculous. No, I think it should be at Godric's Hollow. Yeah, oh, that would be good. Yeah. Wow. So Laura, you were adamant that there would be no battle. That you didn't want the battle to be at Hogwarts. No, I really didn't. Um. And also, like, how old was I then? 16? 16. 16-year-old 16 me was very determined um, <laughs> because I used to be a moderator over at MuggleNet Fan Fiction. And I wasn't kidding when I said that every time a Final Battle fan fiction came through, it always took place at Hogwarts and it was always terrible um, and just, like, really poorly constructed. But I have to say, I was wrong because the way that J.K. Rowling did it was very good. Mm. And I ended up really enjoying the finished product. All right. So she surprised me. Yeah. I uh, Now I'm trying to think back to when you and I were cuddled up in bed together reading the final book. If I, <laughs> yeah. if I heard any, <laughs> did I hear any groans when you started realizing that it was at the Battle of Hogwarts, that it was at Hogwarts? Hmm. No, I was probably just crying. I like cried intermittently while I read that book. So um, I would just like to take a moment to observe all of our like going through puberty voices. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
I don't yeah. even I didn't even recognize myself at first. I was like, who is yeah, that? Yeah, it's pretty funny. And there's <laughs> some, there like, some Ben in there too. Ben was in there. There's a little out of yeah. sync editing. I wonder if that was me. Oops. But uh, No. Yeah. Never you, Andrew. <laughs> you were always perfect. But I was definitely wrong on Godric's Hollow, even though we did end up going there, so bad prediction on my part. Yeah, that's been a good place for a last stand. It is the last stand of uh, Cursed Child, though. So that's oh, kind of cool. That's actually a great point. So, Micah, you, you kind of did predict something accurately. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Not as good as the Dumbledore Fantastic Beasts prediction. Well, that'll always be the high watermark for sure. Were you also thinking that maybe because at the end of Half-Blood Prince, we hear that he's going to go to Godric's Hollow? Possibly. Anyway. So uh, follow us on social media. You will get those MuggleCast TBT clips first. They're really a lot of fun to look back on. Now it is time for Half-Blood Prince in review. One more time, we're going to sit with Half-Blood Prince and analyze it. And we're going to start with our 14-word summary. This is going to be a mess, (laughs) but here we go. Harry. Potter. (laughs) Oh, man, Eric. Okay. And the Half Blood Prince. <laughs> you get seven words right there, or six. Well, I'm going to make this and. Ooh. Oh, God. <laughs> Dumbledore. Discover. The. Secret. About. <laughs> Lord. Voldemort's. Horcruxes. From. Hmm. Writing ourselves into a corner. Yep. Since 2005. Yep. I guess I'm just going to say the. Uh, Harry Potter. Go with Walrus. Go with Walrus. (laughs) (laughs) What? Sorry? Sorry? What? What? Walrus. Um, Walrus. Should I end in hooray? Should I end in bathroom? (laughs) Should I. Memories. Party. No, ended party good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, too late, too late, too late. From the memories. That's good. That Actually, that works perfectly. Yeah. That went a lot better than we all thought. I'm impressed, actually. Unless we listened to Micah and added party good to it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a classic. So we're going to do something now that we usually do at the end of chapter by chapter. We want to also rename the book and also award MVP of the book. Yeah. One thing I wanted to bring up here, I tried to do a little bit of homework and figure out if there was any other alternate titles that were announced or discovered about Half-Blood Prince prior to. I think there's some notable ones from other books. Harry Potter and the Doomspell Tournament was under consideration for Goblet of Fire, and then Harry Potter and the Peveril Quest was one that was... I think, wasn't it a site that Scholastic or Bloomsbury had? They had to go in and register different titles for books. They but did. there didn't they didn't seem to be any big news around uh, Half-Blood Prince. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do it ourselves. <laughs> yeah, they would snap up these domain names, I think partly to throw people off, because didn't they also, so they, so they would 
reserve Half-Blood Prince and then like five or six others. And then I think they did that with Deathly Hollows, Or maybe it was just Deathly Hollows that they did that with. Yeah, there was the Pillar of Storgy, I think. Unless that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, that was one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you guys remember? We did a whole conversation about yeah. that. And the, you guys, and the book like, might be called Harry meant? Potter and the Pillar of Storage. What does it mean? <laughs> and uh, J.K. Well, Rowling joke. whatever happens in the book, there can be no battle at Hogwarts. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, J.K. Rowling. The battle better not be at the pillar of storage. You know what? It's like it's like I said on Instagram. I can't be right all the time. Okay, Laura, I'm playing with you just completely. We all made very wrong predictions. Don't worry. I know. I'm I'm playing back. Okay. It's what were you right. saying, Eric? Sorry. J.K. Rowling on her website uh, joked not only that it would be the, uh, called the Pillar of Storgy, but also the Mystic Kettle of Knackledurk. Remember that? <laughs> no, I can't say I do. <laughs> oh, it's on her. She says, possible title of book seven there must make a note of it um, oh. for book seven. So. Yeah. Yeah, okay, there's there's actually if the first Google result though somebody uh, somebody turned that misfortune of her joking into a fortune, the first Google result is now a fan fiction in thirty chapters called the Mystic Kettle of Knackleturk. <laughs> so somebody wrote it. Huh. <laughs> All right. Well, like you said, Micah, let's rename them ourselves. Rename the book ourselves. All right. I went with Harry Potter and that all important memory. I kept the hyphen there too, just like Half Blood, but changed it to all <laughs> oh, important. That's clever. Mm. I didn't realize that until I just read it. But <laughs> I'll take credit for being clever. Yep. I went with Harry Potter and the Fake News Horcrux. No, oh, too soon. I went with Harry Potter and the Seven, and I also went with this because think about if this was announced before knowing what would happen in the book we all would have lost our minds and the seven what yeah come on i was really I like proud that. Of yeah we- i like that it's <laughs> it's sort of abrupt too right. i like that because it's it's abrupt versus the other uh titles can kind of flower on mm-hmm. uh, though it could be a little title. awkward that book six is titled harry potter and the seven a little confusing and the seven um i went with uh, this is a little tongue-in-cheek harry potter and the Harry, wait, Harry Potter and everything besides his relationships. <laughs> Still hung up on Ginny. Yeah. Can't imagine why that would be your choice. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Should we, you know, I think we should mention that now, uh, that I've actually previewed the first chapter of my Harry Ginny fan fiction to the patrons that put us over the 1000 patron mark. Uh, we've actually, so the first chapter is written. Have you guys, I shared it with you guys too. Have you guys read it? I did see the email. I can't say I've read it. I'm sorry, but I will. Okay. okay. I did read it. Oh, uh, what did you think? I- I'm waiting for more. It's just <laughs> oh, the beginning. All right. Such a tease, Eric. Mike is on pins and needles. He wants yeah. to know what happens. I didn't realize it was going to start with the Dursleys, so I was very uh, <laughs> impressed by that. Little surprise. Little surprise right there. Yes, this will span the three weeks of chapters 24 to 25 of Half-Blood Prince, where J.K. Rowling just kind of skipped over Harry and Ginny's mm-hmm. relationship. So that, that'll be available. I'm going to put the first chapter up for all patrons uh, this week. So. Awesome. Given that it started with the Dursleys, are you writing 30 chapters as well? Is it going to mirror Half-Blood Prince? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Probably, if I had to guess, maybe eight or nine chapters total. Got it. Yeah. All One right. uh, quick question I had, though, before we, we go on to MVP of the book was, didn't 
J.K. Rowling say that this title was considered for the title of book two? Or yes. am I making that up? She did say that, yes. I thought... What do we think of that? Well, that's pretty significant, because didn't she also have a chapter from book two that she moved to book six? She said which one it was, too, I think, too, in an interview. Uh, and it wasn't it wasn't the one you'd think, but there was definitely one in there. Yeah, book two was originally a lot more about Snape. And if you think about it, I mean, we, we spent all of book six, chapter by chapter, doing connecting the threads, and a vast majority of them connected to book two. They really are linked inextricably, and mm-hmm. I think in the end, the only reason book two wasn't called the Half-Blood Prince is she needed to to push the Snape stuff off and kind of focus a little bit more on Voldemort. But it, it could have, the idea that book two could have been the Half-Blood Prince, crazy total crazy but you still get things like blood status uh mud blood being in- a term that's introduced in book 2 so she was definitely thinking ahead so she actually said this in a Q&A on her website which unfortunately is no longer online but um akioquote.org which is a great resource for everything that JK Rowling has ever said still has it she said there is no trace of the HBP storyline left in COS rather the link between the two books relates to a discovery Harry made in Chamber of Secrets that foreshadows something he finds out in Half-Blood Prince. Half-Blood Prince was once in the long-distant past a possibility for Chamber of Secrets, and from that we deduced that it was genuine. Certain crucial pieces of information in Book 6 were originally planned for Chamber of Secrets, but very early on, first draft of COS, I realized that this information's proper home was Book 6. I have said before now that COS holds some very important clues to the ultimate end of the series. Not as many as six, obviously, but there is a link. So there you go. That's yep. what she has said. You got a Horcrux. You got the a Vanishing Cabinet. Those are big, big parts and big moments in book six. Yeah. And not just that stuff, but also, I mean, Micah and Laura, I know when you planned a chapter or two, you guys did some great jobs looking back at the threads between the two books. Yep. This is the fun thing about this series. It's a frame narrative. Mm-hmm. All right, so MVP of the book, Micah. Yeah, I ended up going with Slughorn as my MVP. He's really the key to not just this book, but for a lot of the series, just given the information that he holds, his relationship with a young Tom Riddle is really essential to what ends up happening at the end of this book, because without that information, Harry can't really move forward. So I thought he is a interesting character, definitely flawed. I like the fact that he is the new head of Slytherin House, mm. and we see him in that role towards the end of this chapter, and then, or sorry, towards the end of the book, and then going into Deathly Hallows. But really like the introduction of him, love the portrayal of him, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, I think, later on in, in our discussion by Jim Broadbent. So uh, I ended up going with Slughorn. It's a good choice. I went with Dumbledore. And I know we've had a lot of conversations about how flawed of a character Dumbledore is, but something that really sticks out about him in this book is, um, you know, sort of later on in book seven, we learn more about um, his connection to the Deathly Hallows and his youthful held beliefs about the greater good. And even though he was able to move on from that, I think he kind of use that in order to position himself for book six, because ultimately he knew that he had to die, but he also had to set everything in motion so that 
things would go according to plan after his death. So he accepted his death knowing that he would not actually see Harry defeat Voldemort. And he stuck to the plan all the way through the year, knowing that his death was looming over him. Mm. So got to give him it for that. Pretty MVP. I went with Professor Snape. I think his role is obviously super critical to what happens. And I think that the opening chapters highlight just how important he is and why he should be the MVP of this book. Oh, and he's in the title, so that's important too. <laughs> I don't I don't have as uh, long of an answer for this. I just feel like he, you know, he he's helping he helped Dumbledore put his plan uh into motion. He helped him carry it out. And without him, we potentially could have had a very different outcome. Dumbledore needed an ally, and Snape was the best ally he could have gotten even though Harry currently despises him. Yeah, that's that's very true. And uh, I gave my MVP, went a little dark, but I gave it to Lord Voldemort. He really Whoa. did, dis- I know, sorry guys. He really did discover the key to immortality, as close to immortality as is possible to get. He did it, and he kept everyone guessing, except Dumbledore. But he absolutely, no other wizard could could even fathom making more than one Horcrux successfully. And he made so many that it's going to take Harry and friends an entire other year to hunt and destroy them without him being able to know. So definite uh, praise to Lord Voldemort for really doing what he set out to do and achieving his dream. Props to this crazy man for putting so much work into his plan to take over the world. Bravo. I mean, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. That's the that's the lesson I get. <laughs> Lord Voldemort is a role model. <laughs> oh, no, God. I feel like that's what you're saying. No, except all the murder. That's bad. You're somebody who would wear a dark mark tattoo, which we're going to talk about later today, I think. Oh, no, but I do have that shirt from Kershaw that I just found it in my drawer the other day. That's super, like, Lord Voldemort Day. Yeah, Voldemort Day, yeah. That. Yeah, real cool. Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Hashtag keep the secrets. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to ask, was this anyone's favorite or least favorite book in the series? Uh, neither for me. Okay. I would say Half-Blood Prince is probably like my rankings change a little bit over time. Yeah. But it's probably in like the second or third slot for me, depending mm-hmm. It's in the top seven, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's number two or three for me as well. Number five is my favorite. And I don't think that'll ever change, though. We'll see what happens after we reread it in the weeks ahead, weeks and months ahead. But yeah, I I would put it at number two, but then I'm like, oh, but Deathly Hallows, it's so important, blah, blah, blah. So just having read it over the past year, I really did love the book. And I just love how dark it gets. I love this whole Horcrux mystery. I love that it is also genuinely funny in parts. And it, it's just a good read. So, for, yeah, for me, it's either two or three. Yeah, it's it's pretty much been in my number two slot since reading it. Uh, and that's where it will stay, I think, behind Prisoner. Agree. Same as Eric. Uh, my favorite book is Prisoner of Azkaban. and. I would say 
Half-Blood Prince is definitely in that number two, number three slot right behind it. Yeah, I really, really enjoy reading and rereading Goblet of Fire, though. I feel like maybe that doesn't get as much love. So I know we aren't talking about Goblet, but I'd put that third. Because I think a lot of them, especially like with Half-Blood, all these people that come to the funeral, we noticed last week a lot of those were like the characters from Goblet, Madame Maxime and... um some of the others. So I, I think that really the, the wider Harry Potter, the wider wizarding world, the books that deal the most with that are tend to be my favorite. Yeah. Goblet of Fire is my number one. Always. Nice. Oh, interesting. So this is interesting on Patreon. We asked what's it, where does half blood Prince rank for you? It actually is uh, the favorite book of the most people on Patreon. 49 people said it's their favorite book. Wow. 39 people said it's their third favorite. 37 people said it's their second favorite. Uh, then fifth, fourth, sixth, and it's my least favorite book. So interesting results. I didn't actually expect Half-Blood Prince to be the favorite book, uh, you know, vote-wise, the most popular vote. <laughs> I don't know. It is a little surprising. It is, yeah. Some people gave explanations as to why it was or wasn't their favorite book. Yeah, what'd they say, Micah? So Robbie Stillman says, I said favorite, but it's hard for me to rank one at a time. Half-Blood Prince, Prisoner of Azkaban, and Deathly Hallows are top three. Funny, though, that Prisoner of Azkaban is least favorite movie, and Half-Blood Prince is a huge disappointment to me comparing it to the book. We're actually going to talk a little bit about that later on. Samantha Tillman said, I really like that we're given so much info about Voldemort's past in this book, and I'd like that we're reminded that these characters are kids who still deal with kid stuff like falling in love and feeling afraid. Sharon Whale, I really enjoyed reading about Voldemort's origins in this one. I wish they had made more of it in the movies. Yeah, mm. both Sam and Sharon touched on this point. They really didn't do, in my opinion, a great job of delving into Voldemort's past, the level of which they could have done in the films. I thought it could have been a much more integral part of uh, of that particular movie. I wonder, I imagine, as always, it's it's a time thing, but I wonder if it's also a keeping it a children's movie type of thing, because that's some really dark stuff that you get into. Yeah, with the gaunts. Right. But also something that overall they didn't do a great job with in the movies is addressing backstories. Very true. Right. Think of the think of the Snape's worst memory thing. Yeah. And they filmed for weeks and it came down to 15 seconds or something. Right. Well, and also the Marauders, mm -hmm. like yeah. non-existent in the movies. Exactly. Don't worry. The Harry Potter TV show will add all this back. Well, <laughs> yep. <laughs> well. The biggest thing for me, too, is Lupin knows how the Marauder's map works, but how? <laughs> yeah. So He's good at his job. Yeah, that must be it. He's just so good at being a defense against the dark arts teacher that he just knows how to open up the map. But Snape, who's also a very accomplished wizard, gets insults thrown back at him. So yeah, I have a little bit of an issue with that. Mackenzie says, Goblet of Fire is number one for me, always has been since my first read-through. I mean, the Quidditch World Cup, Triwizard Tourney, and Voldemort is back. Absolutely mind-blowing. Amber said, Half-Blood Prince is my favorite of the series as an adolescent slash teen slash young adult. 
POA was my number one, but while rereading as an adult with children and after listening to Hannah and Marcel of the Witch Please podcast discuss HBP, it changed my perspective drastically. This is a book all about mothers, and that seemingly small insight put the whole of HBP in a bright new light for me. Interesting. This is the first shout out for Witch Please podcast. I have not heard of this podcast. Seems pretty cool. Eleanor says, my favorite because of the character background and plot development. I also love the fact that Harry spends a lot of time unknowingly defending Snape. And I find the dynamic between the trio very realistic and quite amusing from the perspective of my late 30s. I also like the fact that Harry gets slapped down a lot by Dumbledore as I am finding Harry quite trying by this point. Sacrilege. But I also like the fact that he actually turns out to be right, even though his obsession is misplaced. And finally, Jeff says, Half-Blood Prince is my favorite. I love the way Joe balanced the drama and humor. She managed to bring levity to an otherwise dark storyline. Also, the book's climax had by far the biggest death in the series up to that point. It was such a stunning moment. Yes, Jeff, it was. And this is why that needs to become an attraction at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, Universal Orlando. (laughs) (laughs) Dumbledore's death, terror, fall, tower of Uh, fear. Hold on, Laura. Let me draw a big breath and then I'll give you the title. (laughs) Dumbledore's Magical Astronomy Tower of Terror Freefall. The first freefall in the United States. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Favorite Half-Blood Prince moment now. Eric? It's got to be for me. We talked about the memories and how much you learn. Bob Ogden. Good old old ministry official Bob Ogden interacting with the Gaunts when he encounters Morphin and is ushered inside to meet Marvolo and Marope is there. You meet Voldemort's mom and his uncle and his grandfather, and they're all just as despicable as you would like choose to believe. And it's all through the eyes of poor, unsuspecting Bob Ogden. I don't think it gets better than that. Even though book three is my favorite, I don't think it gets better than the Gaunt House chapter. Yeah, it's a good one. How about you, Laura? I had to say the cave. And the reason for this, of course, we we learn a lot about Voldemort through this, of course. But I think what I loved about this was sort of seeing a lot of um, like magic traces. I feel like this was one of the first times in the series where we saw this, that you could sort of, if you were a very like learned wizard, that you could like feel or sense magic without having to actually do anything. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I wish we had learned more about but I really enjoyed the glimpse of it that we got in this chapter. Yeah. And we've been poo-pooing the movie a bit, but that is my favorite scene in the movie for similar reasons as you describe here. My favorite moment, I think, was Aragog's funeral (laughs) because the way that Slughorn worked on his feet as poor Hagrid is suffering was just so funny to me. It's funny in the movie. I think it's funnier in the book. Um, it's just so smart and so slughorn and I just loved it. It was so clever. That was one of the moments in the book where I was actually laughing out loud reading. <laughs> Cause you could picture the movie or just because it was just what was going on. Well it was so ridiculous. It was so mean, but also clever. I mean, yeah. I think we discussed, would we do this? And yeah. <laughs> are we above what Slughorn did? And uh, I don't know if I am mm. above it. <laughs> he definitely shows some of his Slytherin traits in in this book, mm-hmm. for sure. 
I originally had down the Christmas party, but then as Eric, you were talking about the memories, I really enjoyed all of the memories throughout the course of, of the book, but the Mrs. Cole one was really good. <laughs> the way that JK Rowling wrote Dumbledore and how manipulative he was in this moment, the fact that he's willing to get her a little tipsy in order to get the information that he needs and ultimately be able to go see Tom Riddle was another side to Dumbledore's character I don't think that we get much of in the series. And then I just really enjoyed the Christmas party. I, I really like the fact that Harry ends up taking Luna and you know, he yeah. values that friendship so much. And the nature of the party, I think, is a lot like what was being touched on earlier with Goblet of Fire, you have so many different types of people in the same room with each other that maybe normally wouldn't be together. You have a vampire just kind of hanging out amongst children. That's not very safe. But just the fact that this was a very kind of happy moment uh, that kind of balanced out some of the other dark moments that were in the in Half-Blood Prince. Yeah, for sure. All right, now worst Half-Blood Prince moment. And Micah, as you wrote, this could be an event in the book or something you just considered poorly written. Eric, what was yours? Mine isn't a poorly written thing, although I was going to say something and I see Laura's got it for me. Thanks, Laura. Um, <laughs> but the biggest thing for me, honestly, is the the fake Horcrux discovery. What a gut punch to have Dumbledore die and have it be all for naught. Even the remarkable cave scene all its wonderful buildup and they didn't even need to go to begin with because the Horcrux was already found. It's just such a, a pitfall really. Yeah. And uh, so I, I hate it. Yeah, I, I think it's greatly written. It had to happen. They had to know that the locket was still out there somewhere, but you just feel so robbed of catharsis there in that moment, I think. And then also one of the biggest moments that we discussed and that all fans discussed leading up to Deathly Hollows, who is R.A.B.? That's right. Yeah, that's that's a big, big uh, mystery was formed with that uh, with that plot point. I think as a fandom, we had that one figured out, though, right? <laughs> yeah, immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Did we? It I was, feel like we it, were speculating for a while. Maybe not. Maybe it was in Order of the Phoenix, I think think if i'm not mistaken yeah with the black uh, family tree right yeah that's where we got it from see i'm looking at a, a classic site beyond hogwarts.com and they had a whole article who is rab and there's speculation about it being a, a burke or a borgen i don't think it was abundantly clear oh i i always thought at least from working on maybe it was just the fact that we we're so close to it working for MuggleNet. But Regulus was always what I saw in articles. And, and even when we were talking on the podcast, I'm sure we threw out other options, but Regulus was definitely the, the top theory. Yeah. And this is mentioned in that article, uh, too, the RAB theory. But yeah, there were a bunch of theories going around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think the big piece, though, that nobody really threw in there and was that creature was involved as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, creature's mm -hmm. involvement, the fact that that made him a little bit messed up, a little bit, you know, that he never quite recovered from his involvement. That is, you're right, Micah, like a super surprise and devastating. Yeah, and also the fact that without all of this happening, Harry and Creature's relationship may have never improved. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he wouldn't have run into the final battle with what he had like a frying pan in his hand or something like that. (laughs) It was great. Great. Um, For me, I said Ginny's rushed character development. And Eric, I wasn't sure if I was going to earn your ire by saying that. No, I I can't help but agree with you, Laura. I I guess my feeling of it is, is that Ginny pretty much is just perfect throughout this whole book in the way that she reacts to things, in the way that she deals with Harry breaking up with her to go chase Voldemort, and the fact that she accepts that she's like not in a place to be Harry's number one at the moment. These are all great things, and I'm not saying that she shouldn't have them, but I don't feel like it was earned. I don't feel like I got the character development, like the necessary development in order to make me believe that a 16-year-old would be okay with that. Yeah. I mean, our rereading the last, even the last couple chapters of the book, um, being so rushed, the end of the book happening at the funeral, how he's breaking up with Ginny, he's breaking up with Harry and uh, with Hermione and Ron, and they're talking about the wedding in the yard, all at the funeral. It just seems so rushed. And so I think there probably was something that had to go when J.K. Rowling was either rushing to meet a deadline or something, but it was definitely the development of between Harry and Ginny and of Ginny as a character. Like you said, give her some faults, give her some, some sticking points to make her a real character. And for heaven's sake, don't omit the three weeks that they're dating. Yeah. Well, and I also just feel like, I don't know, sometimes when I think of, cause I actually really quite like book six, but when I think about the Harry and Ginny relationship, I just, it, it kind of felt to me like, oh, we're in book six now. This is where Harry and Ginny are supposed to get together. So here's where it happens. And it just didn't feel like there was any build up to it. Like there was more build up to Harry's relationship with Cho Chang yeah. than there was True. to this. Yeah. She's also a bit off character. Well, it's hard to know if it's in character or not when she goes after Hermione about quidditch and then also yeah the fact that harry's doing so well in potions it's like a double sucker punch from Ginny to hermione and it's really intense and for her character for somebody who we don't know a whole lot about and who knows what's going through her mind at that point is it just because of her feelings for harry is it because of what's going on between ron and hermione don't know but it just seemed a little bit out of left field to have her come in and really just throw these two punches right at Hermione. Yeah. So my worst moment, I I was trying to remember the moments that annoyed me from a plot perspective. And I know there were a couple and I tried to look at the old docs to kind of jog my memories, but I couldn't find anything, but um, just the worst moment was Tom being a murderer. I mean, those were really (laughs) heavy really awful probably some of the worst things that we see in this entire book series and it just leaves eric mentioned the pitfall earlier with the fake horcrux this was a pitfall moment when you just see what tom was up to yeah it's true the peek behind the curtain is grotesque and disturbing for me there were there were two relationships that i didn't really like in this book the first and it's more towards the end for harry and mcgonagall I don't like the way that they interacted at the end of Half-Blood Prince. I thought Harry could have leaned on her a little bit more. And I think, Eric, you talked about it in a previous episode. There's nothing that is really causing Harry to have to follow exactly what Dumbledore has told him at this point. And I think McGonagall, just given 
what she's meant to him over the years could have been an extremely powerful ally to have and could have been helpful to him moving into Amen. Deathly Hallows. And and just given what she's represented to him over the years, almost like a mother or grandmotherly type of figure, the the way that he behaves towards her, I thought, uh, I just, it, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, and then I thought Scrimgeour as a character, I was really disappointed, given that he's taking over for Fudge, who we know is just completely inept at his job. I, I, I really didn't like the way that that he came across. And I'm interested to get your thoughts as well about him. I thought that there was an opportunity here to also kind of bring Harry together with somebody who's an aura, who's you know extremely talented, um, but maybe not able to really lead in any way. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, w- I was just... I was left wanting more from Scrimgeour because he he bites the dust pretty early in the next book and, and he just didn't come across very strong to me. Yeah, I agree completely. Well, and we're meant not to like him. I mean, the way he tries to yeah, manipulate but, him. Yeah, I, no, ahead. but we just came from not liking Fudge because he was you know, just not good at his a, job. A bureaucrat. Yeah. yeah and a, a politician. And, but, and I thought we could have replaced him with somebody who was a little bit better, who could connect with Harry a little bit more. And that's clearly not the case. But those two points, McGonagall, Scrimgeour, you know, we see both of those characters and interact with Harry in the last chapter. And so that kind of goes back to maybe what I was saying, which is the end of the book is rushed. Like if maybe some of these things would land a little bit better, um, if there had been more time or, or more, maybe if J.K. Rowling's heart was in developing those characters. Remember, Scrimgeour was the lion-maned guy, the guy that was previewed uh, before book six. We're like, this guy's going to be a badass. And in the end, he's just, you know, he's just like a, a politician who can't get Harry to do what he wants. Big news. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, it's I, I still remember while reading these books, and I still feel this way. It is a bummer that Harry did not have a better relationship with the ministry. But I guess J.K. Rowling just wanted it that way, and I think maybe she's telling us, trying to tell us something about our relationship with the government. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, also, I mean, I think the ministry, even at this point in the series, is too corrupted. Yeah, Like, you may have some good actors there who are trying to do the right thing, but there are also enough bad actors who are already working there and slowly you know, encroaching on on its control from the inside. So I don't think there is a way Harry can have a relationship with the ministry at this point. Yeah, totally. Okay. Um, So now we're going to do most notable new characters. As always, with every book, J.K. Rowling announces or introduces a bunch of interesting new characters. Micah, who do you think you, you created this list? So I did. Tell us why these people were so great. All of them? I don't know that they're all great, but certainly they made an impact in one way or the other on on the story. And, and we can kind of jump around here. We just talked a lot about Scrimgeour, uh, who uh, you know pops up in the, the very first chapter. Slughorn plays a key role in this book. Bill Weasley, I'm not sure it's the first... Is this the first time we meet him? Uh, obviously, he's been mentioned before, but... I'm pretty sure this is the first time we actually get 
scenes with him. Yeah. The Goblet of Fire. He has breakfast with uh, the Weasleys and, and uh, he's listed as B. Yeah. It's Charlie who we don't really see, I think, ever. Um, but Bill is cool. He's got long hair and Harry really likes him in Goblet of Fire. Got it. Okay. So we can throw Bill aside then. But we certainly <laughs> I mean, get this more. Is just like Fenrir did. Oh. oh well, snap. and speaking of Fenrir, uh, it's our first introduction uh, in person to him and his, uh, his nasty ways. But uh, a lot of new characters come up in the memory scenes, uh, Hepzibah Smith and, and her house elf Winky, all of the Gaunt family, Bob Ogden, who Eric, you talked about before, Mrs. Cole, and then uh, we get the uh, Caro brother and sister pair, Amicus and Electo, uh, show up towards the end of the book. But I, to me, I would say probably it's Slughorn and Scrimgeour who are kind of the standout new characters, Yeah, but certainly open for debate. No, definitely. Yeah, I agree with you. I will say I really did enjoy the memory scenes, scenes with Hepzibah. Oh, yeah. Um, oh. She was just such like an eccentric character Yeah. Um, who was so interesting to read about. And it was, you know, a bit heartbreaking to watch her be taken advantage of by Tom Riddle. Hepzibah, a good way to put it. She is eccentric. Um, J.K. Rowling does a really great job of writing those types of characters, and that is also very evident in her Corman Strike series. Yes. You see a lot of interesting characters, very well written in very unique ways. But I mean, between Cedric Diggory and Hepzibah Smith, she's just setting these Hufflepuffs up to knock them down. Is that- and that's why we have Puffs, the play, uh, yes, coming to there Chicago. You go. Eric, please go see it. I was going to say, I think Newt might die now. I think, I think Newt is probably going to get killed because How? J.K. Rowling... He's alive what? in the Potter series. Oh, oh, wait, he's safe. Oh, my God, thank God. <laughs> there you go. I'm, uh, Eric, trust oh. me, I'm saving you a lot of uh, grief here. I'm just saying, she killed all the other Hufflepuffs that we met, so... Yeah, the, the one thing I would just say about Slughorn that I really enjoyed is the fact that we're getting to see a, a Slytherin really in a different light. Obviously, he has Slytherin traits that we see throughout the course of Half-Blood Prince, but I think this is finally a Slytherin character that we can get behind a little bit, and I thought it, it's really crucial that he is brought back, obviously. it and, and I think when we were first reading the book, a lot of us thought that he was going to be brought back to teach Defense Against the Dark Arts. We didn't really know that he was a, a potions master. And this allows Snape to move into Defense Against the Dark Arts to allow the curse to take hold for him. He obviously, you know, is no longer in that role after uh, this book. So uh, there's a lot of things, I think, with Slughorn that um, were certainly enjoyable to read. Andrew, you brought it up before, just the way he behaves at times and certainly shown through a lot uh, at Aragog's funeral. But I enjoyed Slughorn. I also enjoyed uh, Jim Broadbent playing Slughorn. Same. Uh, I thought he did a, a really great job, and and you know Broadbent is great in a lot of different roles, but certainly that came through in in his role as Slughorn. Absolutely. Yeah, I thought even though Broadbent doesn't really look like Slughorn, yeah, just based on how the characters described, he really did embody the essence of that character really, really well. All right, and now the top seven moments of Half-Blood Prince. Not 14. 
Why the number seven? <laughs> I cut the 14 what? and a half from earlier. That's... I, I was going to say, isn't 14 Thank the you. most magically powerful number, Micah? What are you doing? Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, these... He tried to do 14, then he was like, ah, oh, screw it. Yeah, too seven. much work. <laughs> uh, but these are not necessarily in any particular order. They may be more so in timeline order than anything. But I thought Slughorn returning to Hogwarts really is essential for the rest of the book. Uh, Harry deciding to take Newt-level potions can blame McGonagall for everything that happens after this. <laughs> the the Sectum Sempra scene, yeah. the, the Horcrux memory in particular, and Harry obtaining it, I think, uh, though we can make the argument that all of the memories that preceded it were essential to, to Harry learning the truth about Voldemort and the Horcruxes, mm -hmm. the cave, Laura's favorite moment, Dumbledore's death, and then of course, Snape's big reveal. I'm sure there's a lot of other things in between all of that that we could probably call out, but I thought those were kind of the key moments of the series. Absolutely. I guess Snape's big reveal, you're talking about being a half-blood prince. I don't, I don't, did anyone care by that point? <laughs> well, you know, that's funny because even though the reveal happens at the end, it's kind of one of those things where when you reread, then you're like, oh, this is Snape guiding Harry the whole book. Like, right. Why is the book, because why should the book even be called this if it's just a backhanded laugh, like end compliment at the last chapter of the book? Like it is supposed to be a book all about Snape. So, yeah, I would swap out Snape's big reveal with like the unbreakable vow, maybe because that was a pretty critical moment. Oh, yeah. True. I thought about adding that in too, but we could always uh, add an eighth or a ninth. <laughs> no, we have to stick with seven. Nice. Oh, nice all right. Harry get, Potter number. Get rid of Snape's big reveal. Nobody cares he's the half-blood prince except <laughs> Harry. This is Micah's top seven moments, and that's fine. Yeah. Micah planned it. I respect your choices. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's about it on Half-Blood Prince. We have a couple of emails we're about to read, but in a moment, we're going to discuss what we're doing in the weeks ahead but first yeah we wanted to hear a word from one of our sponsors third love third love is the company that is making the most comfortable bras out there third love uses data points generated by millions of women who have taken their fit finder quiz to design bras with breast size and shape in mind for a perfect fit and a premium feel how do they guarantee fit with that fit finder quiz i mentioned all you have to do is answer a few simple questions to find your perfect fit in 60 seconds. Over 12 million women have taken the quiz to date because it's actually fun and takes less than a minute to complete. It's also important because breast shape also matters when finding a good fit. And Third Love's Fit Finder quiz helps you determine your breast shape and size. Then they'll use that information to find styles that fit your body. I personally own five of the 24-7 Perfect Coverage Bras and two of the Seamless Lounge Bras, and these are must-have staples. It wasn't until I put one of these on for the first time that it dawned on me that bras should feel flexible and soft enough to be barely there, but simultaneously supportive enough to feel comfortable in my day-to-day. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering listeners of MuggleCast 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash mugglecast now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash mugglecast for 15% off today. Okay. So what lies ahead now that we are finished with Half-Blood Prince? Like we said last week, 
we are going to finish up the holes in our chapter by chapter series. We haven't finished Sorcerer's Stone. We did all but the final chapter. We're also going to do Order of the Phoenix, and we did start Order of the Phoenix, but since we didn't make get through a lot of it, we are going to restart Order of the Phoenix, which I'm really excited about because, like I keep saying, it is my favorite book. Before we jump into the final chapter of Sorcerer's Stone, because that would be a little awkward, we are going to have a couple of general discussions on Sorcerer's Stone. And Micah, what's going to be the first one? The first one is going to focus really on how Sorcerer's Stone kind of galvanized a a generation of readers. I think it'd be really cool to talk about how not just the Harry Potter series, but obviously people continue to read the entire thing. But I think this first book in particular really impacted an entire generation. And I would say beyond that too, because so many people picked up these books. And I know for many of us, even the host of the show, it it really got us to be readers. It, it, it caused us to pick up other books and to read other series. And I think that that's really cool and really important to talk about and would definitely be interested to hear from our listeners on this as well. Also talking a little bit about how J.K. Rowling was able to finally get this book published. It wasn't an easy process. And then David Heyman, the producer of the Harry Potter series, the dumb luck he kind of had in securing the movie rights. And we talked to him a bit about this all the way back in episode 200. So we'll have some clips that we roll in. But it's really an interesting story behind how J.K. Rowling was able to get Sorcerer's Stone published and then how Heyman was able to secure the rights for the film. And then we have a couple of other ideas. For example, I started rereading Sorcerer's Stone the other day in preparation for these segments. I'm using the illustrated edition, which is a little difficult because that's a big book to hold. <laughs> but um, but uh, reading chapter one of Sorcerer's Stone, there's so much to talk about. There are so many hints about the future of the series. There's all these <laughs> references to motor to Sirius's motorbike, which is funny now with this new ride. <laughs> There's a bunch of stuff in there I'm really excited to talk about. So I almost want to do a chapter by chapter of sorts for chapter one specifically. But I think we're going to do a bit of uh, just some general Sorcerer's Stone odds and ends because Laura also came up with a slew of interesting questions, including how we got into Harry Potter initially and how quickly our obsession set in and whatnot so we'll, we'll talk about those as well um and i know eric you have a few ideas too yeah. so the point in a nutshell we have a lot of ideas and i think we were thinking of just spending maybe two episodes before getting into this final chapter but it sounds like we might actually need more which is great because we have plenty of time to <laughs> so Before we wrap up today's episode, a couple of emails and voicemails. First of all, a couple of people suggested last episode that it was Elpheus Dodge who gave the speech at Dumbledore's funeral, and I did look it up, and that doesn't appear to be the case. That said, this mystery man also officiated at Bill and Floor's wedding. So I'm still confused as to why this particular guy got to be the one who speaks at Dumbledore's funeral. Why did he deserve to have the spotlight like that? Maybe that's his... Uh, profession in the wizarding world and no one can take it from him maybe it's a lifetime appointment (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say maybe he's the equivalent of of a priest or a rabbi yeah it does sound like that but again when you go to funerals you have important people speak and nobody spoke 
This I really wonder I like if it. this is somebody that we're going to find out more about through uh, Fantastic Beasts. Well, I would tweet her and ask, but she left Twitter like six months ago. <laughs> so, Also got this email from Marie. I just listened to your latest episode, and while I'm a huge fan of Ginny, I think she couldn't have ac- accompanied the trio on their camping adventure as she is still underage. She should be 16 by that time, so her magic would still be detectable by the ministry, which would, of course, not be helpful at all. Even though Harry does not even consider this, but I think she did, and that's why she didn't object him leaving without her. Uh, we got a couple of emails. Yeah, like that, that's so. a good point. Great point. And this one from Erica, I've just finished listening to your latest episode, finishing the last chapter by chapter for book six, in which you discussed the attendees at Dumbledore's funeral. This made me wonder, what about Grindelwald? Obviously, he's locked in Nurmengard, but do you think anyone told Grindelwald that Dumbledore died? Would he have mourned this loss, considering their past? I feel like he should have been told. What do you think? Hmm. I'm imagining like a blank stare from Grindelwald, just like, hmm. I'm trying to remember well, if this was a movieism or not, but doesn't Voldemort visit Grindelwald at Nurmengard? And ask where the Elder Wand is, and Grindelwald tells him it's with Dumbledore. Yes. So he knows. He knows he died. And he knows he was buried with it. And at least at least based in the movie, like it didn't seem like he was too upset about it. What movie was this? Deathly Hallows? I think it was Deathly Hallows, okay. yeah. I do remember a flash to Grindelwald. Yeah, it's the first part. Okay. Because the, the first movie ends with Voldemort securing the elder wand from dumbledore but not doesn't voldemort kill grindelwald in the book but not the movie yeah so it's like i think grindelwald knows that he's gonna be done now so maybe maybe there is a romantic uh component there where he's like okay i'll be with dumbledore now i'm gonna tell you what's with him and then you kill me yeah i just don't think grindelwald would feel too bad about dumbledore dying because it was so far in his past um, but maybe that yeah. my opinion on that will change based on what happens in the next couple of movies. Well, Dumbledore was an older boy too, or sorry, Grindelwald's the older boy, right? I don't know why. What do you? What's your? Because they're both like once you once you get to like a hundred fifty, you're like, oh well, <laughs> I better better either get the elixir of life or set my affairs in order, right? Grindelwald actually looked good if he was a hundred and fifty in that movie versus <laughs> what uh, Dumbledore looked like. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if you think about it, though. I think he looked better in that movie than he did in uh, the Fantastic Beasts movies. Ouch. Rough. Ouch. He, hey, Johnny he Depp. Lo- he looks a little rough. I think they intend him to, but... All right. Time now for a couple of voicemails. We're going to jump to the Half-Blood Prince ones. And then we have this voicemail about people who have Death Eater tattoos. Hey, MuggleCast. My name is Rachel, and I've only been a listener for a few years, but I wanted to call in with um, the perspective that I have coming from someone who um, watched movies and fell in love with the movies way before they ever opened the books. But in the past several episodes, you guys have been talking about the last chapters of Half-Blood Prince and Dumbledore's death and the funeral and the battle sequence and kind of your perspective on how the movie didn't do justice. And I just wanted to bring a bit of my perspective watching the movies before reading the books. I really felt like the movie did a really good job of doing a tribute to Dumbledore. It wasn't anything like the books. It was very different. 
but it did put a lot of focus on his death and just the somberness of it all. I feel like even after the movie's ended, you've still got Dumbledore's death with you, and uh, the whole movie isn't about the glowing ones and how it kind of broke apart the, oh, shoot. The dark mark. Wow, I totally lost that. How it broke apart the dark mark. Um, it was very powerful to me as a movie watcher, and reading the books back, it didn't seem as powerful. Um simply because there was a lot of distraction going on. If they had in the movie brought in all the people for Dumbledore's funeral, I just felt like it would have been too distracting. And you have to remember that movies are a different medium of storytelling than books, and you can't include everything that you can in a book. I know as readers, it's something that we want and something that we long for, and I agree with um, Andrew's idea that a TV show would do better, but... That is my perspective. Thanks for listening. And it's my first time leaving a voicemail, so don't judge me too hard. Thanks, guys. Bye. You did great, Rachel. Don't yeah. Worry. I thought, great point. That's, yeah. And I thought that was interesting because she watched the movie first. I think we, too, might have had different perspectives if we watched the movie first. Dumbledore's funeral, if it were brought to screen in full, I mean, that could have been like a half hour. And I bet they would have made Harry... Get given Harry a speech. It wouldn't have been some random. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> but Harry would have worn this a top hat, Andrew's right? Andrew's pushing for the TV show. <laughs> this is my hill to die on. The, the give Harry a funeral. speech. Yeah. yeah. But he has to wear the top hat. That's the key. Yes. Yes. Here, here's how it would work in the TV show or uh, if they did it in the movie. This guy would start talking and then Harry would be sitting in the crowd and he'd be like, what the F? And he would stand up and he'd be like, oh, no, 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 no. And he would go, go up on that stage. He would grab that hat. He would put on the hat <laughs> and then he would give the speech. Beautiful. I, I don't really Beautiful. think giving the speech is in Harry's character, though. Yeah. But wouldn't that have been movie, uh, moving in the movie? And he's like tearing up. No. And Hermione and Ron are all crying. Oh, it would have been so good. Here's just one thing for everybody to think about, and we can move on to the next voicemail. They decided to give a funeral for a spider instead of a funeral for Dumbledore. <laughs> that says all you need to know. Yeah. Well, well in defense of, his spirit lives on. In, in defense of including that scene, that was a light moment in the movie. They needed that, I think. And they also, I mean, for the story, they had to do it because that was how Harry got the memory from Slughorn. Mm-hmm. Right, right. All right, one more voicemail about Half-Blood Prince. Hey, MuggleCast, this is Katie. I'm calling uh, because you were talking about Snape being upset at Harry for calling him a a coward. And I do understand that Snape is going through a tough situation and he did not want to kill Dumbledore and he's hurting and that he is the exact opposite of a coward. And, uh, you know, I feel bad for him for having to go through that. But I just don't feel sorry for him for being called a coward because he spent the entirety of book five calling Sirius a coward. And, you know, maybe now he knows how it feels and understands why Sirius was so miserable. And, uh, yeah. Thanks for the show. Love listening to you guys. Bye. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. Snape's still, uh, he's a douchebag, though. Like, at the end of the day, like, do you understand? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's not nice towards Harry, like, no matter what. So I'm still surprised that Harry named one of his kids after him. Yeah, yeah, that was a very questionable decision, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like we, I'm sure we did an episode on the epilogue at some point, but <laughs> yeah. I, I was names? I was not a fan of the epilogue personally. <laughs> those names, I think, were a bit outrageous at the time, but they definitely grew on me. And maybe Cursed Child has to do with that at this point. But. It probably has to do with Because you got to write your Never Sever Us. No, <laughs> not necessarily because hashtag Scorbus, but I, I don't know. I just like the names. Albus Severus. I think that's a beautiful name. I would it name my of... child that. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. It is on. the. I think it is a bit of a revisionist storytelling to say that Snape was the bravest man you ever knew because... Well, I guess that's true. You're choosing to honor a guy who spent his life making yours miserable. Um, to your face, at least. And somebody who was close with your mother, but then like threw her under the bus socially by calling her a mudblood. And was like, you know, clearly on the wrong side of history for a very long time. As the caller pointed out, goading Sirius to pretty much sticking his neck out and getting himself in danger caused Sirius's death. So you have one kid who's named James Sirius and the other one, Albus Severus. And it's like, everybody's happy. They all get along. Well, and let's not forget that Snape is more or less responsible for the Potters being killed. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. And Harry turns around and names one of his kids after Snape, despite everything. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to be fair as well, though, Sirius really bullied Snape very badly when they were in school together, which also makes the naming questionable. But I I think that's the thing. I think it's something that people who name their children after people in their lives have to contend with is that you have to be able to accept multiple truths about people. Mm. And people can do simultaneously great and terrible things, just like Ollivander says about Voldemort in book one. Hmm. All right, one more voicemail today, and this concerns Death Eater tattoos. It's a bit of a long voicemail, but they explain themselves, so we'll stick with it. Hey, y'all. I just discovered your podcast after so many years, Um, so I'm super grateful, and I've been listening to back episodes, and it's been really awesome. Um, I wanted to call in after listening to this week's episode because you guys mentioned the Vans um, line that just came out and um, one of the things that you said sparked um, a thought of mine which is that there's a Death Eater um, uh, design. Sorry. So I am appalled at this. I'll just start out by saying and have um, totally taken issue with this in the past. Um And I kind of can't believe that this is something that is, like, marketable and that people want to wear. So I'll tell you my thought process. Um, One time I was in a bar and I saw somebody, um, like, from far out of the corner of my eye with a tattoo of the dark mark on their arm right where it's supposed to go. And I'm thinking, like, what is going on here? That is... I mean, let's talk. It's not actually as bad as this because it's fantasy versus reality, but it's a little bit like having a tattoo of a swastika. Like that's, that's saying that you're of the mindset that like purebloods are above everyone else and that you're willing to torture and kill people and that you follow however blindly 
the, um, you know, the thoughts and teachings of like Voldemort, who's this symbol of tyranny and murder. So kind of like not the best tattoo to have in the world. Um, and I actually went up to the person and said, you know, how is it possible that you have this tattoo? And I hate it when people talk about tattoos. To me, I have tattoos myself, so it's not like I was trying to be that person. But um, I, yeah, I just asked to him, and he was like, well, no, I just thought it was cool. It doesn't really mean anything. I'm like, actually, it's super meaningful, and you can't just get that tattoo and say, I just thought it looked cool. So, um, you know, now in the present day, Van put out this backpack, um, and I'm not sure what else they have, with the Death Eater dark mark insignia on it and um it's just really surprising to me that they would even try to market it never mind that there would be an audience for um kind of sporting that logo um so i just thought what i'm sorry i just wondered what your thoughts were on it and um excited to call in the show for the first time thanks all well that's a really Uh, good voicemail for your first call in thank you for that she didn't leave her name, unfortunately, I don't think. But but thank you, mystery person. Um, first of all, I loved that she went up to the person and was like, hey, do you realize that's kind of problematic that you have that tattoo? <laughs> <laughs> so what do you guys think? I mean, I think this person uh, who was challenged, they said that, oh, I just thought it looked cool. I bet that's why most people buy stuff with this symbol on it i think so too and also from not defending it but from a marketing standpoint there's always a segment of a fan population that's going to be down to be on the quote bad side exactly of things and and that's why they have that material out there for them i mean objectively speaking the dark mark does look pretty sick whoa laura when (laughs) It does, but when you understand the meaning behind it, it's not something I would ever wear or, God forbid, get tattooed on my body. But I I do really feel strongly about people getting it permanently inked on themselves. I think that um, this caller made a really good point about the connection to like the swastika, for example, especially given the fact that there are so many parallels in the books between World War II um and the wizarding world right so yeah i think I, I don't think that anybody gets this put on their body with the intention of being like yeah i want to be a supremacist you know for like <laughs> blood types but at the same like i think it's misplaced admiration for how cool the design looks unfortunately but what's scary about that is that that's how people get easily radicalized in the real world like they're attracted to like symbols and movements that seem really cool but they don't actually know what they mean so yeah think about that before you get your dark mark tattoo (laughs) kind of messed up i think about a year or two ago we were going regular again and I said something very similar about the Deathly Hallows tattoo. People feel a little differently. And I got a lot of backlash for that. Um, it remains to be seen exactly how Grindelwald is going to use his symbol. But the way that the Harry Potter books described the Deathly Hallows symbol was that it was a sign of oppression. Uh, Crumb freaks out when he sees that symbol in Deathly Hallows because he that like was what Grindelwald 
uh, vandalized um, Durmstrang with it. So, you know, that too is a symbol of oppression and people are getting it tattooed on themselves. But it's really just, you know, it's a recognizable thing from everybody's favorite book series. It's it's the most uh, immediately recognizable, iconic logo. And I always had these friends that were a little on the goth side, a little into the Death Eaters, Slytherin type stuff and right. would cosplay Death Eaters and and you know, all that at, at cons. And that was just, that was just par for the course. There's a whole section of the theme park, Nocturne Alley. Yeah. I don't buy anything in there, but you absolutely can. It's cool as hell. It's like the Wizarding World's hot topic. You walk in there, it's super dark. All the, all the dark art stuff you can buy. and It's air conditioned. Air conditioned. Yeah. yeah it's the most comfortable area of Diagon Alley. Yeah. The- and I will say I have a Deathly Hallows necklace that I wear quite frequently And I love that you brought that up, Eric, because I think you're right. I think that it can be construed as a sign of oppression because there are certainly people in the books that see it that way. But I think it's also intended to be a throwback to the story of the three brothers, which is really sort of integral to the whole Harry Potter narrative, which is what I think of it. But again, it's a really interesting conversation, and we could probably spend a whole episode talking about how symbols can mean different things to different people, depending on what context they have for them. Uh, I don't think there's any nuance for that when it comes to the dark mark. Yeah. Um, but I think I think there definitely is when it comes to the, the Deathly Hallow sigil, for sure. The question for me would be, where do you draw the line? Because tattoos are one thing but then what about people who cosplay or dress up as Voldemort or dress up as Death Eaters because they just as much represent what Voldemort stood for as a dark mark tattoo does so it, 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 the line is very blurry right again it, it is a fictional story so then you'd have to get into every fictional story that mm-hmm. has a bad person who represented oppression and doing terrible things to certain groups of people. And we know at the end of the day that there's plenty of stories out there where people are dressing up and and part of communities. So it's hard for me to say, no, you shouldn't go out there and, and do this. But I think that there are a lot of different categories that we could come up with, not just tattoos that are reflective of that. Yeah. I think for me, the line comes down to permanence. So like when I look at cosplaying, for example, cosplaying is like an art form. There's a great deal of like creative innovation and artistry that comes with creating your cosplay. And so to me, if I see a really good like Bellatrix Lestrange cosplay or a really good Voldemort cosplay, I'm not going to like attribute the values of those characters to the person who's doing the costuming. I just look at it and I'm like, wow, they did a really good job with that. That's amazing. And also it's not permanent because they take the costume off at the end of the day or the conference or whatever it is they're going to. A dark mark tattoo, that is permanent. (laughs) And so to me, I think anytime you put something on your body permanently, you should carefully consider what that says about you Mm -hmm. (laughs) to the rest of the world. We're sure... Many of you listening have some thoughts on this as well. So please email us if you have any agreements here or disagreements. But to get back to one of the earlier points, I became a Slytherin because I want to be a baddie. (laughs) It feels cool. 
So that's why I converted. Remember when I posted that image on Instagram of my new sweater? New year, new me. Slytherin. I'm a badass. Have you used the apron yet? The Slytherin apron? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I love the green apron. Mm -hmm. Greenapron.com slash MuggleCast. (laughs) My boyfriend is a Slytherin. Ah, no wonder I like him so much. Proud Slytherin. But the thing is... Hmm? I was going to ask Andrew if he was going to get a Slytherin tramp stamp or something along <laughs> no, those lines. No, no, uh, yeah, because what if I convert again in the future? <laughs> you know what you should do? Just get all four house crests tramp stamped and then you're set. Just get the Hogwarts crest. That's a safe one. There you go. You won't regret that later. <laughs> anyway, let's wrap up today's episode. Time now for Quizage. Last week's question was, which Harry Potter book ends with the sentence, and together they walked through the gateway to the Muggle world? Back. Okay, so uh, correct answers. Well, the correct answer was Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets ends with that sentence. And it's actually kind of a fun exercise. You guys should try it to go back through each of the Harry Potter books and just read the last sentence and see like if it were all seven, if you could place them in order. Some of them are a little different than what you might think. Like closing lines of books is kind of, I don't know, it struck me as being ripe for the picking. So it was Chamber of Secrets. The correct answer was submitted by Kate Ulysses parenthesis Batman, Issy Marcantonio, Michelle, Casper, Sarah Davis, Haley Hansen, Ali Frega, Retta Gambo, Count Ravioli, Mandrake Patronus, Robbie Stillman, and Marlena. Congratulations to those. And a lot of you said that you knew that by heart, the ending chapter of, or the ending sentence of Chamber of Secrets. I feel like that'd be a cool thing to put on a poster, like the final sentence of each book. We're, we're jumping around with a couple of Harry Potter books here. So I have another book general question for you for next week's Quizich. Uh, which Harry Potter books, and this does not include the so-called eighth Harry Potter book, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child script, uh, which Harry Potter books do not have a chapter with the same name as the title of the book? Mm. Many of them do. I'm going to go so far as to say the majority of Harry Potter books have a chapter in them that are named after the title, but which books, there's more than one, do not. Mm. Submit your question or submit your answer to us over on Twitter at MuggleCast with hashtag Quizich. Username MuggleCast is where you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We want to remind everybody about our Patreon, patreon.com slash MuggleCast. We just announced our 2019 physical gift. It's the MuggleCast tote bag. This is a spacious bag with a zipper and a little pocket inside. In our scientific tests, it held multiple Harry Potter books and a big jar of pickles simultaneously. In other words, this bag is a perfect companion. It has our iconic Mike Bolt logo and a new tagline, Carrying magic since 2005. One of the benefits of becoming a patron at the Dumbledore's Army level or above is that you get a new physical gift every year. We're really proud to offer this because we want to give back to you. We want you to feel like you're getting your money's worth. And this Patreon not only gives you great digital benefits, but awesome physical benefits too. Become a patron before July 31st to be eligible for the signed album art and the bag. This is a really good year to become a patron. Signed album art and the bag, patreon.com slash mugglecast, and your support goes towards funding and running this show. If you want to get in touch with us, one nine two zero three muggle 
mugglecast at gmail.com or use the contact form on mugglecast.com. We also have the P.O. Box if you'd like to send us something, 4044 North Lincoln Avenue, Box 144, Chicago, IL 60618. Like we said, next week we'll be discussing Sorcerer's Stone. If you have any odds and ends, things that have been on your mind concerning this first book, send them in using voicemail, using email, using the contact forum on the website. We might include them on one of our within one of our Sorcerer's Stone episodes. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. See everybody next time. Bye. 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 Bye.